Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. I don't need a private driver because I'm driving myself to a place with an endless supply of breakfast sandwiches and biscuits and fried chicken at lunch and all that kind of stuff. So it's a a unique and strange place. That's, you know, it's a tremendous rationalization on your part, knowing that you're just never going to get the private chef and the uh, and the transportation. That's correct. I am. That's the difference between newspapers and television, kids. (laughs) (laughs) I was in that spot for 40 years. I'm so close to hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) The Tony Kornheiser show is on now. All righty, then. We're uh, doing a third show this week early, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You might ask why, because I don't have PTI on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, so I thought I'd take some time to myself and heal. And you say, oh, Tony, is something wrong with you? Well, as a matter of fact, the other day, um, we had done the show on Monday, and I went upstairs, and Carol said to me, what happened to your eye? And I said, I don't know what happened to my eye. And I had uh, a large sort of rupture of a blood vessel, I assume, in my left eye, in the near corner, you know, towards your nose, in the near corner of my left eye that is still there three days later, um, I texted with my doctor, and he said, these blood vessels, this happens a lot. And he said, not only that, it will tend to move south, so you'll get more discoloration. It has not moved south, though it now looks like you're about to play outfield for a day game with some eye black. Right, so that's what it looks Mm -hmm. like. So now it doesn't hurt. And my doctor assured me that this was not, there was no underlying thing that I should be alarmed about and I shouldn't worry Though about it. Though you were it. alarmed five minutes after the show when this, this really just came out of nowhere and you asked me, should I go to the hospital? Should I go to the hospital? Which has been your response ever since I was a kid. Should I go to the hospital? And, and the reason I have that response is because I learned a long time ago, I have no skills other than talking. That's my only skill. No triage so if skills? Some, no. So if something goes wrong with me, I can't fix it. I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to do. So I say, should I go to the hospital? You're very good at crowdsourcing your medical issues. Right, which is why, yeah, I'm good with uh, dog stuff. That's why the reason I'm doing this is to get a little help from some doctors out there. Sure. So it has not particularly diminished, but it hasn't gotten worse. Right. It's sort of in the same area and this is it's an more inter- regular in shape now. Yeah, right. It's it's not gashy. Yes, it's, it's it's conforming to the contour of my eye a little bit more. Yeah. Now you can see it, and I you know I don't think that people, I don't other than people related to you, they don't say what's wrong with your eye. But they're thinking it. Do you need to go to the hospital? I think I believe that the second question with everything medical after what happened is. Do you need to go to the hospital? Now, Michael laughs at me, but I've grown up thinking, well, do I need to go to the hospital? The photo that I took of you Monday morning, can you send that to me? Because I'd like to have that framed. Yeah, that's the one we sent to Chris Duke. So The, the missing see, mug shot. That's, an, that's something that <laughs> happens because of cell phones that's actually good. You can send pictures of your maladies to a doctor and they have a better chance yeah, of Except there's them. a much faster way. So we take the photo. We can uh, immediately from your photo app send that to your doctor rather than exiting said photo app, going to your text message finder, writing the text itself, then having this awkward amount of time before we go back into the photos to cut and paste it. But that's well, that's because you're young and you know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. All you know is, how to do is pin certain people to your texts. All The only <laughs> thing that I ever am concerned with is, again, 
should I go to the hospital? Right. As if, you know, because Dr. Warrington might be there in emergency. Yeah. You know, and he might be able to help me. So anyway, so to bring this anecdote full circle, I got a text last night from my cousin Marilyn. My cousin Marilyn watches PTI on occasion. She watches PTI. And she said, this is fabulous. And this is the detail and attention that is paid sometimes. What is that? Who's calling us? I'm guessing this might be one of our guests. Okay. Well, anyway. So this is the deal. So she said, I noticed you had your glasses on the entire show. What happened? Why is that? And I wrote her back and I said, I had this blood vessel. And what I found was that if I put my glasses on, the rim of the glasses covers most of the blood seepage. So you use... They use the prop. To do makeup, you use um, a type of makeup that just covers up. It's called cover-up. And because I don't want makeup on this thing. I don't know what it is. I don't want people pressing on it. I don't want it exploding and then me having to go to To the the hospital. hospital. (laughs) So I used a little bit of this cover-up and then I used the glasses. And Marilyn understood that. But this is, you know, like the people notice exactly what's going on. Are you still using that ice roller? I take... A bag of peas and put it on my I know, eye. but I thought you used to have an ice roller that you'd use to try and lessen some yeah, of the... Yeah, uh, I've got some of that, but I didn't use that because to make that work, you have to press, and I didn't want to press. I was press. wondering if before that you'd press too hard. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. You know, it happened in the morning. It didn't happen before PTI, so I wasn't using makeup. Who was so. the cornerman for Ali? Freddie Pacheco, was that him? Freddie Pacheco was the doctor. Oh, he's no, the doctor. No, no, Bundini Brown. Was the cornerman. Do we need to get one of them in here? Well, feel like I think... I think we did joke about that Monday. My Dip appeal... Yeah, it looks like a little mouse up there. Yeah, like somebody I am, was sparring. A, yeah, cut me, Mick. Um, <laughs> I'm appealing to doctors out there who listen to the show. Not veterinarians this time. Not oral surgeons I'd this be interested time. in the vet's oh. take. One of your colleagues, you know? A fellow doctor of humane letters, right? No. Someone with a medical degree is what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Um, I will be brief on the open because it's tragic. The Nats are tragic. They're, they're tragic. The Nats, they go down. I, I turn on the game. They had the lead late. It's 7-10, 7-12, and they're already down 3 nothing. I don't have any idea how it happened. They're down 3 nothing. They fight back. Their starter is a guy named Kuhl, K-U-H-L. I don't know who he is. Is this his first year with the Nats? I think so. I don't know who he is. He stinks in the first two innings. But he gets a little bit better. He's thrown too many pitches. He's got to come out in the fifth. But I think when he comes out, it's either 4-4 four, four, or 5-4. Yeah, more, more than the Nats his are back pitching, in the, game. They the offense, which going into that game had the fewest extra base hits, started <clears> to <throat> actually string some hits together. And yeah. they are running the bases. Keep the line with, moving, yeah, FP. with reckless abandonment. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so they're winning. So I go back and forth with Chuck Todd. And I, go, and I say at one point, my last text to Chuck Todd is, so you're saying we have a chance? <laughs> and I get a text this morning. I didn't stay up. What, what I didn't know what happened. Kyle Finnegan. So they had a two-run lead going into the eighth. That quickly uh, goes down to one. They're like, trust me, this is fine. Finnegan comes out who has experience closing games. And I think he gives up a few home runs in four pitches. Mm. He gives up three home runs in the top, right, it's the, it's top the, of the ninth. It's the first two that really did you. Yeah, because yeah, you're done. Yeah. You're losing. You're not, you're not coming back from that. The third one doesn't really matter. I mean, why do you and, leave him out for the third one? And there one? are pictures. It doesn't matter. <laughs> there are pictures of Finnegan. He's just like, he's down, basically. His hands are on his knees. His head is, is down into the ground. The ball was squared up. They're like batting practice. Yeah. Ones. He lost the game. Like nobody else lost the game. He did. And Kyle Finnegan lost the game. I think he lost one earlier in the season. Hey, or he still, just we're still was still holding lousy. on to that one one win so far. You know. So that was 
It's awful. Well, I found out. I mean, Tampa Bay is good, but they're, they're, very but they're good. beating the Nats. Yeah. They're beating the Nats. I don't know what that means. I found a fun stat out about the Red Sox yesterday that opponents are 12 for 12 in stolen base attempts. So, <laughs> who catches for the Red Sox? I can't even remember who it is because they, they got rid of the guy last year that was their, court, their catcher for a while. So I'm not even, I think it's like a, a few guys back there. So you look at the two big changes that we're thinking of. The pitch clock now just seems normal, and, and it's, it's, it's a great. rare pitcher where he gets under five. But you look at the stolen bases, and you start to say, maybe they went a little bit too far, too fast. Yeah. The game, the game overall time seems great, but I was thinking about this in preparation for the Masters because they have this big change with the 13th tee going back about 45 yards. And you just start to wonder, were they a little out ahead of this? And I think everyone wanted the ruling bodies to make this decision sooner. Uh, But when you have a cold and wet Masters, which we might have, the first one, the first month of baseball play, the first Masters after this new edition, uh, we'll see how it's received. Yeah. That's a par five. Par five. It's supposed to be. Now you're, you're going to be laying. It's up. supposed to be momentous decision. Now, if you've watched the women's am, which again is reframed, well, they pay. They the play course. for the course. Sure, yeah. but that that has reframed the course as to what the original design was asking of the players. Uh, and you saw some great third shots, and you start to think, where are you going to where are you going to take the angle from? And even in that final group, Rose only cleared the creek by a, by a yard or two. I've parred that hole. I've hit a third shot in with like a nine or something like that. I've. And the putt actually Quadruple found the bottom bogey. of the cup. But I've parred that hole. Yeah, I've parred that hole. And the pin was way left when I parred it. Way left and then sinks down. You know, I mean, you, it's a very, very fair. Who, who cares, right? I care. Annalise Marie. Remember we played her music? Yes. She writes, this is Annalise Marie. Ride and I just Cowboy. want to thank you for playing my song Ride on Cowboy on the show. It meant the world to me. Isn't that nice? It's lovely. Isn't that sweet? Appreciate that very much. Alex Taneo has been a fan for a long time. Martinsburg, West Virginia. Yes, we love Alex. I finished 1,210 in your bracket. It was tough, but I'm just happy to be in the top 20. <laughs> when are we sending the stuff out? Uh, we're like, working. We've, yeah. uh, we've received about half of the addresses. One of them is dangerously close to my promise of 30 miles and in. So uh, <laughs> put, glad I put move. that on the table. Yeah. By the way, is there, is there a bloke named Patrick Dealey that, that maybe won the tournament? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll I got a to... text from 40, and he said, my man Patrick Dealey won your bracket pool. Oh, okay. So. Uh, Ed Butt writes, on Monday you told Bob Ryan, I like it when the original six teams win the Stanley Cup, and you forgot to add the exception, except the Blackhawks eat it, Wilbon. <laughs> and um, what else do we have here? One more. Catherine Fahey. How accurate was Ted Lasso this season on the description of Hallmark movies? Now, I don't, I don't watch Ted yeah, Lasso. Watched I'm, it. People like it, <laughs> yeah. I know. And this is the quote. Hallmark movies are films that feature women from the big city falling in love with their childhood crushes. It's usually some fellow that owns a Christmas tree farm. Sometimes he's also Santa Claus or a prince. (laughs) They suck, but they're great. But mostly they suck. They're also kind of great. They're good with the sound off. That's funny. They're good with the sound off. It was a great line. So we'll take a break. Steve Sands will join us live from Augusta. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Jim Baznight, who has played and sung for us before and who we like a lot. Yes. 
This is a brand new single from his latest digital album, Early Years, both compositions that he sent us. He says are 100% mine, has other rights to use the recording. This is called Live in the Sun or Live in the Sun. You don't really know until you hear him sing yes. the lyric, Live or Live in the Sun. Not sure. But we like him. Yes, he's very much. He's very good. We'll play him twice today. Thank you to Jim Basnight. He plays in Steve Sands, who was in Augusta. And yesterday on PTI, um, we had Scott Van Pelt on. And the first question that I asked went something like, Wilbon and I are newspaper guys, and newspaper guys are always looking for the column. It seems to me that before putting the tea in the ground, the column is the live the Saudi players versus the PGA Tour players. And I asked if there was any tension. And he said, no. His experience was there was no tension at all and that that isn't the column. I mean, he's telling me what the column is. Good for him. Everybody's allowed to do that. He says the column is who's going to win the tournament. But I'll, I'll ask you the same question. Do you notice any tension between those players or if indeed it's friendly? No, I'm with Scott on that one, Tony. It's, okay. Uh, I, I'm not saying the media is making it up. To live is certainly a story. By the way, I love love when you call them the Saudi players, not to live golf players. I do it, it deliberately. Yeah. It just makes me laugh. None of them are Saudis. Right, I understand. They play, they play live golf. It just makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm with Scott on that one, Tony. I, 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 again, I don't think the media is drumming this up. Clearly, it's a storyline. But Augusta does things very subtly, Tony, and they – spread out their starting times with the live guys, with all kinds of different veterans and past champions and all kinds of things. You wouldn't even notice. It's not like they're going to take the 18 guys. They play threesomes uh, the first couple of days. They're going to put them out in the first six groups and get them out of the way before TV comes on. That's not what they do here. And I don't think anybody's going to act up here. That's why I agree with Scott on this one. No one is going to be, uh, you know, saying something out of line here on the grounds. They might do it in interviews before and after the Masters, but not here on the grounds at Augusta. There's too much reverence for this place and this tournament, especially last night, Tony, in the Champions League. I, I, yeah, I want to ask about there. that. What, how, what, what happened there? Yeah. Nothing. It was, uh, you know, look, I, I spoke to a couple guys. I texted with a few people who were in the room that night. Um, Mickelson was quiet, Tony. I mean, Mickelson's not a quiet guy. Right. Um, he was more quiet than, than he normally is. Um, you know, it's got to be a very uncomfortable thing for some of those guys, especially someone like Phil, uh, who's been so outspoken. Um, but there was no contentiousness. There was nothing abrasive. Uh, everybody kind of sits where they want to sit. Freddie Couple sits with Raymond Floyd and those kinds of, you know, that kind of thing. They're not going to, you know, there's no kumbaya in there. Right. Uh, but there was also nothing that was really earth-shattering. Yeah, um, but it is interesting that they're going to put those guys out early and not put them on television, right? No, no, they're not. No, no, I'm saying they didn't do that. Oh, they. Oh, I thought. Okay, I thought they did do that. I thought they're not in the featured groups. Okay, that's the point. Is that is that you know some people were speculating. Oh, I wonder what they're going to do with the tea times. They're going to put them all out together and not with other people and. That's not what they do here, Tony. You know, you know what it's like. Yeah. Um, I know. You, I know you don't cover this event anymore, but you probably are a member and you play here 15 times a year. <laughs> and the way it works here, everything here is subtle. You know, they don't do things drastically here. Everything is subtle, and the subtlety yesterday when the starting times were announced and when they released them was, you know, Mike Weir is going to go out with Kevin Nod at eight o'clock or right after the ceremonial tee shots are hit. 
and then some of the other guys are just sprinkled in here and there. And you really wouldn't be able to tell one way or the other whether it's a live guy or a PGA Tour guy. So I think that's the way the club wants it, and that's the way they decided to do it. Um, I am under the impression, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that there was uh, an understanding from Augusta to the Saudi Tour players that there would not be live propaganda on your hats, on your shirts, on your bags, but it's okay to wear your team jersey. The team jersey thing makes me laugh because there aren't 100 people in the United States of America who know what these team jerseys are or who care. Well, if it's 100, I would I would bet the under for the legal <laughs> Right. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, I'm with you on that. The team thing is just conceptually, I guess it's okay. Uh, seems more apropos at a Ryder Cup or President's Cup in this sport than it is, you know, when you're actually playing. Sebastian Munoz actually said that he was guarding against trying to almost win the event last week on Live because he wanted to make sure his team won, which is very strange in this sport. Um, look, the guys have been wearing their, their shirts, the Live shirts. A couple of the guys were wearing the hats. But then you see Brooks Kepka walk by, and he's Nike head-to-toe, yeah. not wearing any of it. So I, I, I always thought, Tony, that, and, and this is more your realm than mine, I always thought that the Masters, Augusta National, was kind of like Wimbledon. It's analogous to Wimbledon. Everybody wears white at Wimbledon. Nobody really acts up. Nobody really does anything insane. That's right. That kind of thing. That's right. And that's the way it is here. There's an elegance to the place uh, that is almost not demanded, but it's just kind of out there, and everybody kind of plays the role for the week. And I I think the guys are going to wear their shirts. I I don't know about the hats, but I did see some hats yesterday and the day before um, with those goofy logos that, again, you and I and everybody else has no idea what those things are. But... I guess you're branding to nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even recognize. That's what that. I believe. I mean, if you're are. if you're wearing a Crusher's hat and a Crusher's right. shirt, I'm assuming. Oh, is that a new shirt brand, Crusher? I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't. And I don't care. That's exactly I, I, what I thought. Yeah. Um, there's a sense again when you're writing a column. Uh, there is a sense of importance to what you write and a sense of finality to what you write. And the temptation would be here to say that if X guy won, it would prove this, and if Y guy won, it would prove that. It also occurs to me that nothing will be proven because this is the first of many. I just don't think these guys are going to be banned from anything that resembles a major, right? No, I don't think they're going to be banned from the majors. The majors are set. We've talked about this a lot of times on on your show. The majors are run not by the PGA Tour. They're run by the Augusta National runs the Masters. The USGA, the US Open, the PGA of America – PGA Championship, the RNA runs the Open Championship. Those are those are affiliated PGA Tour events, and they have the best players, but they're not run by the Tour. So the banning by the majors is not going to happen. What is going to happen, Tony, is they're putting a chokehold on Liv. All right, so tomorrow there's going to be an announcement that the the, the Times of London uh, broke the story yesterday. It's going to be announced tomorrow that the European Tour, which is now called the DP, DP World Tour, yes, I saw, read that, is, is won a lawsuit and is now allowed to punish, basically, the players for playing in events that conflict with a DP World Tour. Well, that's every week. So they're going to be fighting and banning these players. If the guys, Tony, don't get World Golf ranking points, and if they're not playing the DP World Tour and they're not playing the PGA Tour, they're not going to get World Golf ranking points. The majors don't have to ban the players, and that's what they want. They're just going to put a chokehold on Liv because no one's going to go there if they can't play the majors. And if you're not in the top 50, in the official World Golf ranking, you can't get into the majors unless you're already exempt. Yeah. 
to another route. Like Phil Mickelson. So, yeah. Because, exactly. So because of that, Tony, if you're just falling down the official World Golf ranking every single week because you're not playing an event that earns World Golf ranking points, by next year, you know, if there's 18 players in the Masters this week, that number's going to go down and down and down, and then no one in golf at the highest level is going to go to live. You know, take the money, go ahead, but you're not going to be able to play in the biggest events, and I think that's going to prevent people from going to live, and I think live will eventually just kind of fade away. It's a very good analysis of that. I did read that yesterday about the DP Tour winning that lawsuit. That's a big deal. I didn't realize how big of a deal that was, Tony. When that news broke yesterday, we were on the air, uh, and one of the writers who is, you would love him, his name is Eamon Lynch. He's a great guy, and he's a great writer. And not good, he's a great writer. And he is very in tune with everything going on in golf. He He's from Ireland, so he has a European flavor to him. And we went to commercial, and man, he was saying this is the biggest decision you could possibly fathom in golf at the highest level. When they announce it tomorrow, that means the PGA Tour is probably going to have a favorable ruling in the United States. And that that could be the end of live by the end of you know twenty three or twenty four. If if you can't get players to play there, then what's the point doing it? Let me get back to this tournament because that's extraordinarily interesting. And there's no follow up question because you just answered it completely. Uh, we always ask about weather. We asked Barry's Verluga yesterday. Asked Van Pelt yesterday. Um, weather not not great. Not great for the tournament. Yeah, it's not great. By the way, I love Barry. What's better than what's better than talking to a Washington Post columnist when you're a huge sports columnist when you're a huge Washington fan and the Nats are horrendous, the Wizards suck, the Caps have been eliminated. But uh, other than that, everything's pretty good. <laughs> Every, everything in the nation. Is, listen, I still think it's the greatest city in the world. <laughs> I just think our four sports teams suck. Uh, and that. Wait, that are you saying that Kyle Finnegan giving up three home runs in the top of the ninth last night was bad? Oh, oh yeah, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, man. I, I've got we've got three sons, as you know, yeah. and they literally are like. Why are you watching this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's it's only April. Yeah, yeah, Dad, we're done. Dad, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, um, the weather's going to be an issue, Tony. And and I don't. I, I told you this before. Um, the guys will tell you at the highest level. They'll tell you rain doesn't bother them. Temperature doesn't bother them. I mean, it's nice when it's 78 and sunny, and nobody cares. But temperature doesn't bother them for the most part, and and rain doesn't bother them. Wind bothers them. Yeah. So it's not supposed to be crazy windy here uh, this week, but this weekend, man, it's supposed to be 90 degrees here today, and then a little cooler tomorrow, and then only a high of like 75 on Friday as the storm comes in, a lot of rain, and then on Saturday, it's supposed to be a high of 53. So it's a huge difference, and there's supposed to be a ton of rain falling. So I think the golf course is going to get a little softer uh, than they would like, they love it firm and fast here. They have a sub-air system so they can suck the moisture out for the most part, but mm-hmm. you know you, you can't do that completely, so you can't make it completely dry. But it's going to be cold. Uh, it's going to be wet over the weekend, and I, I think that favors some people, and I think it, it's a huge disadvantage to people like Tiger Woods and, and people who are a little bit older whose bodies aren't as in tune as some of these younger guys. You want to pick a winner for us and get out of here with it? <laughs> I hate chalk. I mean, I know you guys know this can't stand chalk but I, I i feel like the masters is going to love rory back this week he loves a soft golf course remember congressional he won by a million he did uh, and the golf course was soft he loves soft golf courses i think scheffler uh has a great chance to become the fourth person to ever defend his title successfully here 
I don't remember since Tiger in the mid-2000s, you're talking about 15, 18 years ago, having a better record and being more informed coming into the Masters as a defending champion than Scotty. Um, you could think of Spieth maybe in 2016 when he was defending, and he should have won when he had that five-shot lead on the back nine and made a mess of 12, but he wasn't playing great coming in. And Nicholas has always said, always has told me this, at Augusta more than anywhere else, you don't find your game at Augusta. You bring your game to Augusta. McElroy is playing great golf, driving the ball beautifully, just needs the putter to cooperate a little, Tony. And I think Scotty Scheffler uh, has an excellent, excellent chance uh, mm-hmm. to be a defending champion. If you're going to go crazy off the board, uh, I don't know why, but I would say Mackenzie Hughes from Canada I think has a chance to play well. I mean, there's a couple of guys. I think Jason Day is going to play well. I think Jordan Spieth is going to play well. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Rory or Scheffler. Enjoy yourself. Thank you so much for being on. Have a good week. Anytime, Tony. And the next time you come here, how about you invite some of us to come play with you as a member? Yeah. It's that membership that membership may have gotten lost in the mail. May have. Ah, that's a shame. Steve Sands, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will come back with Jeff Passan. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is a rock and roller. This is Jim Baznight. This is called Baby Gonna Let You Down. He's really good. You know, he's yeah. really good. Yeah, good rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Jim Baznight. Very, very good. Michael, if people like Jim Baz and I want to send in their original tunes, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornizerShow.com. Jeff Passan joins us now. Um, I, I can't continue uh, with the Kyle Finnegan thing. I mean, it's just killing me, so I'm, I'm going to lay off the Kyle Finnegan thing. <laughs> Three home runs in the top of the ninth. My God. Um, I'm watching games. It, it's, it doesn't appear to be a mirage. They appear to be, by and large... <laughs> Much faster. It is owed, I'm sure, to a bunch of things, but it is owed primarily to the pitch clock. I said this the other day. It's like a wonder drug. It's like quinine or aspirin. You go, well, God, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do this earlier? Um, What are your thoughts on that and and the viability of it staying this way all year? I'm just waiting for the third arm to start growing out of all of our bodies right. because the no no drug can be this effective and this good this quickly without some sort of side effect and maybe that's just the cynic in me who looks at baseball and is like oh my god you're back darling um that that's what it feels like yeah. and it it's almost like tony we'd been lulled into what the game is supposed to be when in reality, we had forgotten what the game is. And, I, you know, because 
I'm not a fan because I'm a reporter and I'll go to games and watch them and write about them and talk about them on TV and podcasts and whatever. I I think there's a fair number of people who are like, you just want to get out of there quicker and go about your day. I'm missing my baseball and they've taken some, yeah, what they've taken away is all the dead time that you didn't realize had crept into the game. And it's not just the fact, Tony, that these games are averaging two hours, 38 minutes after being you know, 30 minutes longer last year. It's the fact that the pace is just moving so quickly and so crisply. It's like I can watch a baseball game now and know that my night is not going to be consumed and occupied by it. And if it was, I was okay with that. But I feel spoiled right now because if a game's going more than two and a half hours, I'm like, pick up the pace, boys. Yeah. What's going on here? Like, I, there was a game, Tony, yesterday that went an hour, 57 minutes. Uh, you know, I, I had wow. written a story on the pitch plot going into the season, and wow. I quoted someone saying there's going to be a sub-two-hour game in the first two weeks, and he was exactly right. Which game was that? That was uh, the Marlins game. Wow. Uh, Sandy, Sandy Alcantara. It was a one nothing game, so everything lined up. Sandy Alcantara pitched a shutout, and yeah, one fifty seven. That's And uh, I had a friend, Paul, who was at that game. He's a big Yankees fan, but he lives in South Florida now. And, I, you know, because there have been those complaints, Paul, I went to college with Paul, and... So he is 42 years old, and he has loved baseball his entire life. And there were enough people who I've seen complain on social media about it that I'm like, what, what did you think? Did you, like, was it okay? And, and I loved his response. He said, I didn't leave my seat. I ordered a 24-ounce beer and a bag of peanuts from an old-school vendor who was walking through the aisle. And I sat and watched baseball for two hours, and it was incredible. And hearing that from him heartened me because uh, for all the complaining that there is out there. Um, Who's, complaining? Still, Who's, I, I, Who's complaining? Who's complaining? I try to understand what the complaints are. I try to listen because it, it's. It's not a significant amount of people, but it's not an insignificant amount of people either. And here's what I think is missing, Tony. Our lives are hectic as hell. We're rushed. We feel like everything needs to happen now. We're always on call. Everything is on demand, right? Baseball was maybe the one final thing in our crazy, busy lives where we could just sit back and let it very slowly evolve over time. And, you know, there's a fair argument to be made that in a world that's always on the go, maybe it's okay to take your time with something. Now, I, I don't personally subscribe to that idea. I love quick baseball. I love pitch clock baseball. But I can understand why someone might romanticize That's, the version that we've seen yes. for the last 25 years. Okay, that is that romanticizes the exact word. If you go back to the 50s and the 60s, I yes. bet the games were 210. 
Yeah, I bet they uh, were. Um, not, be- not, not quite. It's interesting. If you go and look back, by, by the mid-50s, they had crept up to about two and a half hours. So I, it's not like we're going back to the 70s or 80s no, here, Tony. Two and a half hours. Like I can live with two and a half hours. I have a lot of trouble. You know, I mean, w- w- what I recall, of course, is Ryan Zimmerman stepping out every single time to adjust his batting gloves. Yep. And we don't have that anymore, and nobody needs that, not even nope. Ryan Zimmerman, because that nope. just became superstition and habit. That's all yes, that was. And, that's, and, and that, is, that is precisely the point here. I think players were fearful of this, Tony, because they had, they had come to this notion that in order to be successful, they have to follow a routine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, we are we are as human beings very routine. I do that. People. Yes. Yeah. Of course. And yes. When, when we find any modicum of success with something, we look to replicate everything about it. And so you know a batter one time absolutely squared up a ball after he had adjusted his gloves stepping out of the box and going forward that little memory implanted in his head. And he subconsciously said to himself, if I want to replicate this success, I need to do this very same thing. When in reality, it turns out whether you're a pitcher or a hitter, and I'm saying this because offensive numbers are pretty much the same year over year, and pitching numbers are pretty much the same year over year, uh, you say to yourself, I have to do that. No, you don't. You do That's not right. have to do this. It turns out you can be just as successful with a clock winding down behind you. Um, you and I are aligned on the pitch clock, but I'm, I'm sort of wondering about this. There are other rules. Um, I don't know if they work as well. The stolen bases are up. The percentage of stolen bases, successful stolen bases, that's up. Is there any fear that that's not a great rule? If there's one rule where you wonder, has this gone a little too far? Has this swung the pendulum a little too much? It's the stolen base rule. Yeah. But by by no means are we looking at a complete outlier right now. Yes, there are they are on pace for about 3,100 or so stolen bases when in recent years it's been 24, 2,500. And so, yeah, stolen bases would be up like 20%. And the success rate uh, is up about 15%. So that means that they're running more and they're running more successfully. Yeah. And, and to that I say, good. I enjoy stolen bases. I enjoy the one-on-one of a catcher versus a runner. And I think what's going to happen, and we've begun to see this a little bit already, I think what's going to happen is that teams are going to recognize that there's value in stealing bases at an 80-plus percent clip, and so they're going to run more. They're going to run in uh, situations where they might not otherwise to test the limits of this rule and of these new bases that are, you know, three inches closer, mm-hmm. um, or four and a half inches closer, I guess. Um, and when they do that, there are going to be more caught stealings. The percentage of success is going to go down. And while you have more stolen bases, the game isn't going to look out of whack. Um, in terms of the shifts, um, no, I, I don't think there's been any issue there. Singles are way up. 
and you, you look at the slugging percentage across the league, and it's up just about the same number as the batting average, which means it's almost entirely singles that are changing, and the on-base percentage is up almost exactly the number uh, that the batting average is, which means, again, that's coming from the hits. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it, it is doing what it intended. That Tony, the, the crazy part of this whole thing to me is just how right baseball seems to have gotten it. Like, you know, the soup isn't going to burn your mouth. The soup isn't cold. Um, you know, the soup is just right. The three little bears did it. And uh, I'm, I'm just marveling at how seamlessly these rules have integrated themselves into the game and how it's changed the experience of watching baseball decidedly for the better. Theo Epstein should get his own room in Cooperstown. (laughs) He should get his own room. I'll get you out of here on this. I didn't know about this till yesterday. Anthony Rendon, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, Four games, that's a significant amount for something that you can toss off and say, well, nothing really terrible happened. But don't, I mean, isn't there guidance where they say to players, you make an awful lot of money here. You got to live with what they say. You got to live with it. Yeah, of course. I think it was just a person who's frustrated with where his career has gone over the last couple of years making a stupid decision. And, uh, you know, Anthony Rendon has always been prickly. I didn't expect this out of him by any means. If, you know, if you had pointed to someone uh, on that team and said, this guy's going to snap at a fan, I I wouldn't have chosen him. But, um you know, there's no excuse for it. It's just, just wrong, and he's going to get his penalty, and he's going to serve it and uh, move on, hopefully with a team that uh, doesn't miss the playoffs again with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Yeah, that's 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 the great drama in baseball right now. Can the Angels keep Shohei Otani by winning and getting into the playoffs, right? <laughs> Isn't that the, the overarching theme of the, of the year? It's Otani. Yeah, I think there are two stories this year. I think one is the new rules and what they're doing to the game, and I think the second is uh, with or Shohei Otani. Because, I, uh, Tony, I saw him during the World Baseball Classic when Samurai Japan was going out and winning the whole thing, and it was the, the night of the semifinal game particularly, where they were down in the ninth inning to Mexico, and uh, Muneka Murakami had a, a walk-off double that Otani scored on. The look on Otani's face afterward, the sheer joy and glee, the the way that he was talking, more animated and personable and funny and charming than I have ever seen him before, it told me that Shohei Otani needs to be on a winning team because that is when he is at his absolute best. And if it's not with the Angels, it's going to be with someone. Oh, boy. That is the drama. Jeff, thank you so much for being on. Appreciate it a lot. Thanks. Pleasure is always mine, Tony. Jeff Passan. That was really good. Really good. We'll take a break. Email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. 
got your emails and your notes. He'll read them for all you folks. Cause it's the mailbag. Yeah, it's the mailbag. If you drive a car, no Subaru. If you try to fax, no, that won't do. Sean Cherry, that's so good. Really Makes is. us so happy every time we hear it. You want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, uh, we love Bethesda Bagels. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. Man in the trench coat, badge out, laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway looking for a new friend. Man in a coonskin cap and a pig pen. Wants $11 bills. You only got 10 I always thought that man in a coonskin cap with a Bic pen. That's what I always got thought that was. Gotta have a Bic. Not in a pig pen. Yeah, Bic pen. If just, I could, you I never could've... go anywhere in this business if you don't have a Bic. So that's what I always thought. More of a Mont Blanc fan myself. Yeah, that's um, Robert Zimmerman from Hibbing, Minnesota. Thanks to our guests today, Steve Sands and Jeff Passon. Both great. <coughs> Thanks as well to our sponsors today, ZipRecruiter Policy Genius Liquid IV. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple. Please leave us a review. From Trey Watson in Lexington, Kentucky. On Tuesday, David Johansson mentioned the country band Highway 101 when talking about the actual Highway 101. Immediately, I thought, I know that band. In my youth, my dad ran all the Red Man country concert tours, and a personal favorite of his and eventually mine was Highway 101. Holly Dunn singing, previously Pauline Carter, Cactus Moser, now married to Winona Judd on drums, and Jack Daniels, not that Jack Daniels, and Curtis Stone on bass and guitar were always awesome to me, mostly in my case because they had a Nintendo on their tour bus. Whenever I saw they were on the bill, I knew I could hide on the bus and play Duck Hunt or Super Mario <laughs> rather than schlep ice or t-shirts around backstage. Interestingly, their most famous moment probably came without their female lead. They were the band backing up Rodney Dangerfield in Back to School when he sang Twist and Shout prior to the start of the bar brawl. What a legacy. Uh, from Bob Walsh, requesting some help here because before you know it, the equivalent of the High Holy Days for the Littles will be upon us. Jingle Fest 8 in June, Summer of the Littles 5 in August, and La Cheeserie Night Part 2 in September. As chief cook and bottle washer for the Summer of Littles, this is the time of year when I begin to solicit folks to be hosts for our August soiree. <clears throat> Please let folks know that hosting a Summer of Littles venue can be as simple as picking a local for-profit establishment and agreeing to be there at 5 p.m. on August 5th to say La Cheeserie to your fellow Littles. We'll take care of letting folks know the venue locations. No one has ever regretted, regretted meeting another Little in person, so it's a great opportunity to set up a no-pressure get-together in the host locale. And the Littles that do step up will join a long list of illustrious hosts, such as Dean and Damascus, Ed Butt, Dave and Sarah Spector, and of course, Chuck and Roxy. So you can check out the website, summeroflittles.com, or you can email at summeroflittles2, number two, at gmail.com. That's from Bob Walsh in Wethersfield, Connecticut. From Mike in Utica, New York, the best highway in America, if you plan to motor west. Oh, do yeah. take my way. That's the highway. That's the best. Get your <laughs> kicks on Route 66. That's the east to west highway. Yes. And that is water to water. That's water to it water. It is. From Kenny Ray, longtime emailer in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. I-95 and California 101 can duke it out for second place. 
because on the list of best highways in America, because everybody knows the greatest highway is Highway 61. Why? Because God said to Abraham, kill me a son. And Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. And Abe said, where do you want this killing done? God said, out on Highway 61. <laughs> From Joe Pearson, who's disgusted in Indianapolis, the most storied road in this here United States of America is Route 66. It's not even up for debate. You talk about manifest destiny and it travels west. How do you think those Okies and the Grapes of Wrath got to California? <laughs> on the mother road, baby. And tell me, where do you think someone should get their kicks? I'll leave it to you to figure that one out. And finally, don't forget Winona. Barstow, Arizona. Um... So Route 66 is that. And Route 66 is the highway of dreams. But I-95 is the highway of dreams. Because all of the people that came to the country that started in the east and went up and down the east, and then they went west. Yeah. And that is Manifest Destiny is going west. Who did I yell at who said it was Pacific Coast Highway 101? I oh, said, I forget. Son. Yeah. <laughs> Son. From Chris Foster in Midland, Texas, as the official Subaru rep of the Tony Kornheiser Show, partial zero means that it works 60% of the time. Every time. <laughs> Jim McNicholas, West Grove, Pennsylvania. Please tell Joe from Austin, Texas, the best bagels are not in the city, but across the river in Hoboken, birthplace of Francis Albert Sinatra. That's right. At JP's Bagel Express. He can get to it quickly from the city as JP is about a block from the Hoboken Port Authority train station. My son lived in Hoboken on and off for a few years, and it was the highlight of every trip. The pumpernickel is to die for. If the current game is how to destroy a car's engine, I didn't know it was that. My older sister did it the old-fashioned way. She drove the used 1972 Dodge Polara we shared for several days with the check oil light on. Yep, seized up the engine. I was riding public transportation the second semester of my sophomore year as I commuted to my classes at Villanova. Not cool. From Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi, who emails us for years and years, and wonderfully so. The name Dusty May sounds like the lead singer of a country music band. I could easily see Dusty May and the Sidewinders headlining at the Birchmere in a few weeks. Um, Claire Natola. Well, Tony, how could you forget Infomnia? As Don Salucci said about drugs in the meeting of the five families, I don't want it near schools. I don't want it sold to children. That's an Infomnia. But I, didn't, I don't speak Italian, so I don't know. Infamia or infamnia? I don't know. Write us again, Claire. From Justin in Cleveland. Fresh off their numerous podcast mentions and resulting sales surge among the 70 to dead demographic, <laughs> our friends at Tillamook are expanding their ice cream empire outside Oregon for the first time in marching east. Their chosen gateway to I-95? Well, of course, it's the United States answer to Toronto, the city of Chicago. Well, Decatur, Illinois, to be exact, but if Scottsdale is Chicago's sister city in Wilbon's America, then Decatur's a second cousin. So grab a spoon and a spot over the sink, Mr. Tony. Soon your ice cream will be as local as your Thursday show topics. <laughs> Jason Fish, Broomfield, Colorado, sends us a picture of Bay Bridge Cabernet Sauvignon. He says, I know it's that, not that Bay Bridge, but when my wife brought this home, I started cackling. Bay Bridge. Bay Bridge one. Got to uh, close your Adam. eyes when you drink it. <laughs> exactly. From Adam, from uh, JFK Belmore, Belmore Kennedy High School on Long Island, class of 05, who writes, go Mets, go Max Scherzer, Warrior God. What happened to Max? Uh, what was it, the three home runs in a row last night? Three bang, bang, bang Oof. for the Warrior God. Back to back to back. He Ooh. says, last week my wife and I welcomed our second child, a masculine child, into the world. Well, in the hospital, I slept on the awful couch next the to my wife's couches. bed. And to my wife's chagrin, would often listen to the podcast at night. The second evening, when the nurse came in to check on my wife and our son, Dean Bradley, my wife quickly quipped, turn that podcast off. Of course, I was just doing that. But oddly, the nurse responded, don't worry about it. 
I turned it off anyway, and as the nurse made her way out, she stopped, pointed at me, and said, enjoy the pot. She then winked, pointed to her shoes, and said, we all wear hocus. <laughs> this was the first time I've ever met a little in the wild, and what a salute. Thanks for being the voice that my wife can't stand, but accepts as the narrator constantly in our background. We all wear hocus. That's from Sam Wyman. I live in Dorset, Vermont, just north of Manchester in the Equinox Hotel you speak of now. And then that's Equinox, not Equinox for your information. Named after the mountain which rises up behind the famed hotel, opened in 1769. You mentioned playing at the Equinox Golf Course and then at a mountain course. I'm guessing it was Stratton Mountain. Indeed it was, which hosted some LPGA events back in the 90s, a fun track with 27 holes. I'm a member of the Dorset Field Club, which has a claim to fame as the longest continuing running course in the United States, dating back to 1886. Now, the Country Club opened in 1882, but closed during World War II, so we'll get that continuous running claim. If you and Michael would like to come play this summer, do let me know. I'll be happy to host you on the course and could help you with lodging and dining suggestions for your stay. Be a dream come true to play around with TK, my third grandpa. All the best, Sam from Vermont. You don't have to worry about where we stay, because we stay with Steve and Anita. Because they live, essentially, Michael, at the base of Stratton Mountain, yeah. where we've been a million times. And then we go to Manchester. And Mother we, Myricks. You know, to Mother Myricks and get the chocolate fudge sauce. Ooh. And then we go to the outlets and all of that. And we've been doing that for a million years. the misshapen sweaters. With yes, the holes they are misshapen. <laughs> but you know what? But they're cheap. I'm putting that aside. Keep you warm. From Len Rubin. Greetings from the east end of Long Island, where you still have a standing invitation to join me for a great round of golf at Montauk Downs. As I was listening to you recount the wonderful responses to your Willis Reed tribute, I was moved by your words about Dollar Bill Bradley. I, like so many others, cherished his years as a Nick, but I have a great memory of him before his Nick days. It was January 1965. I was a freshman at Cornell. Princeton was coming to Ithaca, and I knew I had to see him in his final appearance in our gym. I got there an, got there an hour early since I'd heard that his pregame warm-up was something to behold, and indeed it was. He started at one sideline and methodically shot basket after basket around the perimeter of the key, not moving until he had perfected the shot from each position. We're talking about 45 minutes. He had a great game, 40 points, but Cornell won 70-69 on a last-second shot by Dave Bliss, who I had parenthetically later became a coach. A stunning upset. Princeton went on to reach the final four that year with Bradley winning the MVP. I still think he should have run for president. That is described, that warm-up. Everybody who's under the age of 40 pays attention to the Steph Curry warm-up. As well you should, because it's great. Sure. But that Bill Bradley warm-up is described in the book A Sense of Where You Are by John McPhee. Um, it's one of the great books ever. Uh, it's, it's just great. John McPhee was a writing professor, I believe, at Princeton, and he wrote about Bill Bradley. Um, it's, you should read it, A Sense of Where You Are. Andrew, Andrew Bracewell, Vancouver, British Columbia, one of the groomsmen from my upcoming wedding this July 15th in Whistler, works for Rivian, as a computer programmer, I'd ask him to get you a code, but he's a Subaru driver, so we both know he's practically useless. <laughs> On a related note, I'm looking for a new groomsman for my wedding this summer. <laughs> Let me know if anyone comes to mind. Dylan McCarthy in Danbury, Connecticut, of Western Connecticut State University class of 2022. So that's recent. And Danbury I'm, Open. Hmm? No, nothing. Okay. I am a recently certified K-12 music teacher. In my training at school, I learned a tidbit in one of my vocal pedagogy classes that relates to what you said regarding the Beach Boys. 
The reason siblings are able to sing very well together is due to the similar bone structure in their faces. When siblings sing together, the tones that are produced from each singer are easily tuned and harmonized, as opposed to singers from a much more varied genetic pool. Does this mean Michael's kids are ready to start a barbershop revival tomorrow? No, but does it mean they have a leg up on the competition? Absolutely. Yeah, look out, Hanson. You know? <laughs> yeah. You if could, only. You could do that. Your kids could be Hanson. From Gary Lupton. My wife and I are mental health counselors in Stafford, Virginia. We're in Hawaii attending my son's wedding, and after the wedding, we were staying at the Turtle Bay Resort on Oahu. We were sitting in our lanai, is that how it's pronounced? Lanai. Lanai, lanai, enjoying wine and cheese when a man walked by wearing a Stafford, Virginia t-shirt. I looked up and I said to him, hey, it's a small world. We have a business in Stafford. We explained what we did, and he said he was there on his honeymoon. His new wife walked up and explained who we, we explained who we were. His wife said, I know. Look in my wife, she said, she did a marriage counseling with me and my first husband. <laughs> Not exactly a ringing endorsement. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You want to talk real customers? Kid, that's me. I'm like the mayor of Duncan. I go from Marblehead to Revere. <laughs> Oh, live in the sun, live in the sun. 
Baby, gonna. 